enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and the riches of his glory and the inheritance of the, in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers, might and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And, that, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. Amen. Thank you, Father, for your words that we just receive, oh God. We claim, oh God, we claim our inheritance, Lord Jesus. As a people, as a nation, Lord Jesus, in this place, we claim our inheritance from you, Father. For indeed, before the foundation of this world, Lord God, you have ordained places and praises from our lips, Lord Jesus. We thank you. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Jesus. Great rest. Lead us in a chorus. Lead us. Lead us. You're leading.
gates of heaven. Ooh, let it rain, Lord. Ooh, let it rain, Lord. Oh, let it rain, Lord. Oh, let it rain, Lord, over all your sons and daughters. Oh, let it rain, oh, let it rain. Let's sing, let's sing together. Let it rain, let it rain. Yes, open the flood gates of heaven, Lord. Let it rain. Those who hunger and thirst after me, I will pour out my Spirit. I will let it rain in your life, in your family, in your community. Those who hunger and thirst for me, I am the river of life, the river that never runs dry. I am the river of life. So come, all ye children, and jump into the river of life. It's time to stop holding back. It's time to stop looking from the sidelines and enter in. For the Lord is good. His love and His mercy endures forever. And the Lord, He is calling you out of darkness into His glorious light. It is time. Come on now. It is time. Come on now to come up. He's calling you upwards. There's an upward call from the heavens. The Lord, He is seated high in heavenly places and He does not want to have His children dwelling in the darkness, in the darkness which pertains to this earth. So come up. He's calling you up. He's calling you up. He's calling you up. Come up and meet Him in the clouds of glory and the Son of Righteousness will fill you, will consume you, will pour His love into you. He who is willing to drink from the well of living water, come and drink. Thus saith the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Come on, let's stand up. Just wait a little bit longer because the river is here. The river is here, but it's up to you to jump into it. It's up to you. Ooh, we're gonna sing. Ooh, oh, let it rain, let it rain, oh Lord, let it rain, oh Lord. Spirit, Lord, fill your people, Lord, fill your people, Lord. Ooh. We sing of your glory, we sing of your majesty. You are God. Sing him, sing to him yourself. 
in your own song. Sing of your glory, Lord. Sing of your majesty, Lord. Let it rain. We sing of your glory. We sing of your glory, Lord. We sing of your majesty, Lord. We sing of your loveliness, Lord. Let it rain. This is how you worship, church. This is how you worship from your heart. Just make your own words up. Sing whatever comes into your heart. This is called free worship. This is the church of the future. We are not bound by words. We are not bound by notes. We are bound by, we are free to let go of what is in our heart. Sing what's in your heart. Come on. Ooh, we love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord Jesus. Come dwell, come dwell with us. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The Lord, He is good and His love and mercy endures forever. We praise you, O Lord. And church, take note. We are stepping up to meet the Lord in heavenly places. And this requires you to jump out of the comfort zone of what's been familiar, of what's been done before. It's time to step out of that and come up with Him. Okay, so be ready for next week. (laughs) Don't leave me hanging, okay? It's up to you. It's not up to me. It's up to you. God opens the door. We just got to step right through. We are going to be a worshipping church, a worshipping church in one accord. It's not about us. We're just here to help you. And as you learn to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth from the depth of your heart, from the place of gratitude and thanksgiving for what He has done for you. You wait and see what the Lord will do. It's so exciting. It's so exciting. So don't hold back. No more holding back. Nick, would you please come and share with us communion this morning? Thank you. Okay, who's ready for a little quiz? Okay. Back in uh, Jesus' day, he had 12 apostles. But he also had 72 other disciples. And he sent those disciples out to preach the gospel, the good news. What did they preach? That's the question. What good news did they preach? Any answers? Okay. Anybody else? Okay, well, let's go a bit further into it. When we hear the gospel today, we tend to think of the basic message of Christianity, namely that mankind is separated from God through sin and that Jesus paid the penalty for our sin through his death, burial and resurrection. 
However, we'll see that the word gospel in the time of Jesus carried a significantly different message. Because you've got to remember, even the apostles, the 12 apostles who were there, they didn't really know at that until the crucifixion and the resurrection happened, they didn't even really understand that it was going to happen. And they're saying, no, 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 Lord, it's not going to happen. We're not going to let that happen to you. So there's obviously something different that was preached. Now, who were they preaching to? Were they preaching to people who had heard the word before or were they preaching to Jews throughout Israel? Now, they were preaching to Jews throughout Israel and they had no concept of what he was talking about. But what they did have was something that was given by God and that was the Jubilee system. Now, the laws of the Jubilee then stipulated that a friend or relative could redeem or buy back any land um, and set those who had become slaves free. Now, if you were broke or you know, things were really tough, Everybody in Israel had a inheritance of land. Now, you could sell that inheritance, but then every 50 years was a jubilee. And at the time of jubilee, everything was then restored to the original owners. So nobody became poverty-stricken. Like in our system here, if your great-great-grandparents were poor and your grandparents were poor, and your parents were poor, the bad news is you're probably going to be poor too. But in Israel, that's not how it was. So the, um, the other way you could get set free was for a kinsman redeemer to pay out the debt. Now, do we have a kinsman redeemer? We have. We've got Jesus. So he paid the debt. So... For this whole system to work, somebody had to pay the debt. So the people of Israel began to long for a redeemer, one who would restore them to freedom and to their God-given inheritance. In fact, to this day, Judaism speaks longingly of the national redemption and the messianic age to come. Now, the people of Israel, unfortunately, had been led astray over a few things. They, they first, even you see when Moses first coming down the mountain with those tablets, what were the people doing? They were worshipping a golden calf. They'd made a, an idol in that time that Moses was up on the mountain. And so they would constantly keep going off the rails. Eventually they got so far off the rails that God had them taken into captivity and while they were in captivity, they really did go off the rails. But Jesus started his ministry. His very first sermon was a reading from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he began, to preach good tidings to the poor, liberty to the captives, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and they shall rebuild the old ruins. Now, the Jews understood that, and the Pharisaical ones, of course, got very upset because they knew that Jesus was saying that he was the Messiah. So, but the people got the message that there was a that they were going to get brought back because remember, by this stage, they had lost all their 
their rights. Their, uh, the whole property system had been mucked up. So, in these words from Isaiah, we also discovered the answer to our earlier question about the gospel or good news, which Jesus preached. The gospel Jesus preached wasn't a message of faith in him for salvation from sins, although this message is important. Instead, this gospel message was understood to mean that the Jubilee restoration was at hand, which meant everybody in, Jerusalem, in Israel was going to get restored. But then after his resurrection, Jesus spends the next 40 days with his disciples. The only questions disciples asked Jesus at this time reflects what was on their hearts. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, is the Jubilee going to happen now? And, of course, as we know, it wasn't because 2,000 years later we're still waiting. So fast forward to the day of Pentecost and we see the question of the Jubilee still lingering as Peter gets up to speak. Anointed by the Holy Spirit, Peter explains, Jesus has to remain in heaven until the time comes for restoring everything. As God said long ago when he spoke through the Holy Prophets. So, as we come to today, we've got a little piece of um, matzah bread, this Jewish bread. And we know what happened. But we're also looking forward to the day when Jesus comes back and gives us that final jubilee when everything is restored. The world gets restored. All the sin and the filth is gone. All the weapons of mass destruction, they're gone. All these people who are pushing garbage down people's throats, gone. There's only one rule, and that's the rule of the Lord. And when Jesus comes back, everything's going to be attained perfection. So as we think of this, we think of the body that was broken on the cross. We think of those words from last week. The nails didn't keep him there. Jesus' love for us kept him there. So I think that was a great message. That's one we're going to keep using. So as we take this, let's remember what happened and let's you know, think back at the system that God put in, which was the Jubilee system, to keep everybody, everybody from going into bankruptcy, from being poor or from being tied to generation after generation of poverty and slavery. So as we take this. Remember, a lot of people today are in slavery to sin. They're in slavery to their own lust, to the problems of the world. They're believing the lies that are being told by the establishment out there. But we're taking this, and when we take this bit of bread, we remember the body that was broken on the cross. We remember those stripes, and the stripes healed us. By those stripes, we are healed. Not going to be, not might be, we are healed. So let's think of these things. Think of all those other people out there in the world that don't know this. Everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs salvation. Everybody needs to come to that point. And as we take this this morning, let's remember this and let's take this. Father, we just thank you for the, the, the body that was broken on the cross. Father, we thank you for the, the, just the pain and suffering that you went through that set us free. In Jesus' name. And then we've got the blood. The blood that washes us clean. It's funny how blood's red, but when it, it pours over sin, it turns black sin white. That's the, one of the miracles that we just, um, frankly, mostly ignore. 
But we've got something to look forward to. We've got an eternity with God to look forward to. So as we take this, let's just think about forever. Not just today, not tomorrow, not next week. Let's think of eternity. Thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you for bringing us a fresh perspective on communion. And every time we, someone comes up and shares, we get another nugget, another perspective of what it's all about. So that's lovely. So, um, yeah, now I'd like to invite Pastor Gary to come and bring the word today. Thank you, Gary. Amen. Who's going to pray for our offering? Was that you, Nick? We can do that in just a sec, I reckon. Give everyone a chance to get their, their seed ready. Who's had a good week? Three people, great. <laughs> Who wants to have a better week this week then? It's been a challenge. If, uh, if you see me sit down, my knee's all swollen again. It's almost like I wrestled with an angel and now I've got to walk with a limp. That'd be biblical, wouldn't it? Hallelujah. Who can feel the presence of the Lord here this morning? As we were worshipping, we could just feel it. Worship team, thank you. Thank you. I, I could see people getting ministered to. Hallelujah. That's the type of church we are. We don't need to do altar calls. You can be ministered to during worship, during the word. The Lord can just touch you no matter what you're doing. I'm not saying we won't do altar calls, but we actually don't need to because the Holy Spirit's here, right? Hallelujah. Oh, in fact, I'm just going to get Nick to come and pray for the offering because the Lord's telling me something at the moment and I'll just see what he wants me to say. If that's all right with everyone. Well, I'm already warmed up, so who's ready for an hour and a half teaching on Taruma and tithing? Come on. Everybody? Okay, we won't go there. But where I'm going to go is somewhere a bit different. When we, we think about a lot of stuff around Christianity, um, we get tied up in, in rules and regulations and laws and, you know, oh, Traditions. Traditions, are, they're the greatest. And not just us that have traditions, by the way, every other group out there, every other religion in the world, they all have traditions that they follow. Now, I can tell you that, you know, you should be tithing, you should be putting in your 10%, and you should be paying to rumour as well, you should be putting in your 2.5% before you do your tithe. But... No, not interested. That little thing in there that goes bump, 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 your heart. That's all God wants. Jesus is interested in your heart. And your heart should tell you what you need to put in those little purple buckets. Because, you know, 
God doesn't care about your money. And Pastor Gary and Pastor Amanda, they don't care either. They've got jobs to keep them going. The money that goes into the plate doesn't support them. They support themselves. And they pay their tithe as well. They pay their money in as well. Because God looks at the heart. And if you look to God and he will touch your heart, you will put in the money that you know, God tells you to. I mean, I've seen people really religiously, you know, a fellow I know, he would get there and when the plate came around, he was like the old Pharisees. He would get there and make sure that he sort of waved his arm around so everybody could see the big wad of money that he was putting in the plate. But what was happening in here? He was getting his reward already because he was getting all these people saying, oh, isn't he wonderful? Look how much money he's putting in the plate. Do you think God really cares about that? That's what he wants. He wants that heart. And I've seen other people. Actually, the story that really I think is the most telling is Jesus and the apostles going up to the temple. And here's all the Pharisees and they're getting out their big, big wads of money in there saying, Look at me, look how wonderful I am and putting it in the offering. And everybody's, all the poor old Jews are saying, oh, aren't they wonderful? But then this poor old widow woman comes up and she had two little, even smaller than a one cent coin. And she goes and she drops those in. And Jesus said, you know something? She just put more money into the offerings than all those rich Pharisees put in. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for the heart. So, Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, and examine our hearts, Lord. Talk to our hearts, talk to us, and get people to examine themselves so that when this time comes, communion followed by offering, Lord, that they're receiving from you, and then, Lord, your work needs to continue, and your work continues by the money that is received. But people have to listen to their hearts. They have to listen to your voice for you to tell them what they need to do. Because when you listen to him, you'll be rewarded. Amen. Tithing is just the start of it. If you want to hear about Taruma and First Fruits, go and have a chat to Nick later. That's where the blessing lies. That's where the blessing lies. You know, the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well in this city and within many of the churches. We've had so many stories in the last couple of weeks of people that used to be part of this church saying, don't go there, they preach wrong doctrine. Don't go there, Brother Sadu went there. What a spirit of Antichrist these people have. If that's on you, break it off now in Jesus' name. We're going to preach about the family today and you can look at this in two ways. You can look at it as your physical family or the church. In fact, I encourage you to look at it both ways. Because we're going to spend the rest of the month talking about the Christian family and living for Christ in the present. In the present. Not what happened a year ago or a day ago. I love that Nick mentioned a one cent coin. We're lucky that we're a church that mostly are old enough to remember what a one-cent coin looks like. Some of us may still have some. For those that you weren't sure, they were a little copper coin. They were tiny. 
And they're probably worth more than one cent now, believe it or not. <laughs> I think we can all agree that marriage and the family are under great stress today, aren't they? Yeah, love is love. Just let, let, let the gays get married. Love is love. That was the start of it, right? We just let that walk straight in. Where was the church? Let me tell you, the woke church is still alive and well. It's not here. The woke church is not welcome in here. It's going to be one of those messages where I'll probably get a lot of phone calls from other ministers. I don't care. We don't play that game. We go by what this book says. Tired of the woke church telling us what we should do. The church has a vital stake in the husband and wife relationship, doesn't it? And the parent and child relationship of those who call themselves believers. I say call themselves believers because not everyone that calls himself a believer really is. We're all called to be part of the body, but that doesn't make us the bride. And today we're talking about healthy families are no accident. So your physical family, it's no accident if it's healthy. There's no accident if it's not. Your church, if it's not healthy, it's no accident. And if it is healthy, it's no accident. Let us pray for just a moment. Because one of the things that we taught on Friday night for those that were there, we're talking about hearing the voice of God, is sometimes we just need to sit quietly, right? So let us pray. Father, in your word, you've taught us that if we know your presence, we must be still. So in this quiet moment, Lord, we're still before you. Sometimes we're so broken by our doubts, Lord, that we live with an empty spirit and don't quite know how to find you. But you promise, Lord, if we quit talking, if we just shut our mouths sometimes for a while and allow our ears to listen and our hearts to respond, that you will speak and our doubts can be erased with a hope and a confidence that can only come from you. Lord, the gifts that we've just given are a sign of our love. Even for a while may have lost sight of the way. Lord, we wait upon you this morning and we worship you today through Jesus, our Lord. And it's in his mighty name, it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. Isn't it good during worship that we could actually just have some free worship? You know, we don't have click tracks in our ears. We're not using Ableton or something that, you know, is set to the second where we've got to be doing a certain thing. It'd be great to have all that, but you can't have free worship when you've got that stuff. Again, I say thank you to the worship team by being led by the Spirit. Thank you. Continue to do that. Continue to do it. In a month's time, we'll be in South Korea and we'll be in Israel. Continue to do it while we're away because we'll be watching online. It'll be some weird hour of the night when we're in Israel, but we'll be watching. Keep Aunty Patty and Apostle Di in your prayers. They're off to South Korea on Saturday morning early. Hallelujah. They're forging the way. By the time we get there, the Holy Spirit will be moving. We'll just bask in His presence. It'll be awesome. 
The scripture we're concentrating on today, if you've got your Bible, open it up, is Matthew 7, 1. I'm going to read from the New King James Version. You can read from whichever one you like. It says, do not judge. Matthew 7, 1. Judge not that you may not be judged. I'm talking to you all those who are watching online that tell people not to come to this church. Judge not lest you be judged. And then we're going to look at Matthew 7, 12. It says, therefore, whatever you want, men to do to you, also do to them. For this is the law of the prophets. This church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Whatever you want someone to do to you, that's what you should be doing to them. And the scriptures we're going to work through are Matthew 7, 1 through to 14. I'll read them all for you. Judge not that you should not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. Yeah, we're talking about families today, remember? What judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? We all know these verses, right? Or how can you say, brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye and then do not give what is holy to the dogs. Haven't we learned that lesson, Pastor Amanda? Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before the swine, lest they trample them under your feet, their feet, sorry, and turn and tear you to pieces. Keep asking, seeking and knocking. We're talking about the church here. This is what the church does to itself. Wake up. Ask and it will be given to you and you will find. Sorry. Knock and it will be open to you. There's some secrets to having a kingdom life right here, isn't there? For everyone who seeks, oh, sorry, everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. These are promises. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Fathers, if your child asks for something to eat, will you give them a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Are we asking him for the right things? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law of the, the, law of the prophets. Verse 13 talks about the narrow way. The narrow way. God just loves you is not the narrow way, I can assure you. There's a bit more to it. Enter by the narrow gate, for, the wide, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Do you want destruction or life? Life. So there's a narrow gate, right? 
which we need to go through. Healthy families are no accident. And healthy families are usually happy families, aren't they? But happiness is not what I'm going to be talking about this morning. Happiness should not be our goal. It is not something that we find at the end of a rainbow, as many people believe. If I was just happy, if I just had more money, I'd be happy. If I just had a new car, I'd be happy. Let me tell you, when you get it, you want another new car, you want more money. I've lived in that life. I've been on that treadmill. Gets you nowhere. Has anyone noticed when you run on a treadmill, you don't actually move? It's what happens to us along the way to building a meaningful, purposeful life. That's what happiness is. Families like people get sick sometimes, don't they? Who's had a sick family? Who still has one? It's okay, we're all friends here. I love you. We can be honest with each other, can't we? But when we get sick, we want to get well again. Sometimes it's harder for sick families to get well than it is for a sick person or a sick body to heal because we have trouble admitting that our families are sick. They're ill. Sick families can get well. Hallelujah. But that healing doesn't happen automatically. It happens only when people are determined to change their lifestyle. So really today we're talking about each and every one of you. It's up to you. In our text from the Sermon on the Mount, I love the Sermon on the Mount. Could you imagine being there? We learn some exciting truths that we can apply to our families today. The first thing we're going to look at is healthy families are the result of choices. It's no accident. God's way is not easy to find. It's a narrow path. There's a gate there. It's narrow. Nor is it easy to walk once we find it. Who's been walking on that narrow path for a while? And sometimes because it's narrow, you can step off into the bushes, can't you? It's not easy to walk along once we find it. There's easier ways to live than living God's way. You don't get the same benefit, but there's easier ways to live. The traffic that moves in the direction of the world follows a crowded path. Have you been on the highway? of a morning trying to get to Brisbane. It's a crowded path, right? People who justify their choices by saying, everybody's doing it, are walking on a well-travelled path. Why did you do that? Well, everyone else was. But God's word is clear. So many, so many people spend so much time trying to decipher what this book actually says. But often it just says what it says. We don't have to try and put our own doctrine into it. We can actually just read it and then ask the Lord and he'll tell you. If we want to find life, we'll often be on a lonely road. Who here are the only Christians in their family? It's a lonely road, isn't it? That's the reason the churches are so important to Christian families. 
because it's a lonely road. The church is a family. Our families might think we're a bit strange, a bit weird. Sometimes I think some of you are a bit strange or a bit weird. It's with love. I'm sure many people think I'm the same. If we had to live our lives isolated from one another, we really would feel isolated in the world, wouldn't we? For some people, the church is their only contact with people throughout the week. For some people, the only contact they get is when someone rings to do pastoral care and check up on them. We gather together in the church not because we're perfect. Is anyone here perfect? Hallelujah, no hands went up. I'm happy with that. Not because we're always right. Is anyone here always right? Husbands, good call not to put your hands up. But because we understand the ground rules, that's why we gather. And we know when we're in bad territory, don't we? We know the world doesn't even know there's an out of bounds. Going to surfers, you'll see it. Going to Broadbeach, you'll see it. The world has no boundaries. I lived in that world. I thought it was great until Jesus found me in a gutter. The world is bouncing off one than the other, never quite understanding why their lives keep getting shaken out of place. One of our children through the week says, there's something missing in my life. Yes, there is. But we can't tell them what it is because they already know. We need someone else to come along and say, hey, you need Jesus. Because you know, if mum and dad say anything, they're just not going to listen. But they live their lives bouncing from one wall to another. We know that our church has many healthy families within it. But we also know that so many are hurting, hurting so badly. As a church, we're here to keep one another and help one another. Not only when we're well and we're celebrating, but also when we're sick. I love the church that comes together. I love that we're a church no matter our age. Whether we're seasoned or unseasoned, no matter our age, we can all learn from one another, we can all comfort one another, we can all walk alongside one another. Nevertheless, church must also be more than a hospital. I've heard it so many times that the church is a hospital for the sick. Yes, but we need to be more than that. Because when you get sick people trying to help sick people, no one gets better. When you get people that are bleeding, they just bleed over everyone. It doesn't work. That's why so many of our churches in this city are stuck in a spiral. They're going round in circles. We need to be more than a place that treats pain with a quick fix. Because that's how many think of this Bible, isn't it? It's just a quick fix. I'll go up and, and there'll be an altar call and I'll be healed. It's a quick fix. How about giving your life to the Lord? That's like going through a couple of courses of antibiotics, isn't it? You've got a little bit more work to do. To be well, we must make deliberate choices. Who wants to be well? Everyone. 
Who does, actually, it's easier. Who doesn't want to be well? Good. And it isn't easy. And it's costly. Anyone been to a doctor recently? Billing really doesn't exist anymore, does it? It's costly, but it's a deliberate choice. Sometimes we have to go against the current. You know, like those salmon swimming against the current? Sometimes there's a bear waiting for them, right? Can you imagine what's on their mind when they, when they jump out of the water and the bear's there? We need to go against the current, escape the easy flow that the world offers us. Living in the world is easy. It looks easy. But the end result is a bear standing there waiting for you. We need to step out and feel the breeze that comes when we're all alone. We need to feel that 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 class that I did with the only person I really saw was Pastor Amanda for that time. Like that breeze. I was alone with my Bible and with God. And for a few hours of an evening, Pastor Amanda. We need to be striving to be a family of God and as a family of God to be different and healthy. It's no mistake that we're a smaller church in this city because we're different, right? Does anyone want to be like the world? Denominational churches? Because I don't. I've been in that system. I don't like it. You can almost predict what's going to happen next. Because if we can be different, we can be healthy. Second thing to say is healthy families are built on thoughtful behaviour toward one another. We've got to think about each other, church. Matthew 7.12 is the golden rule for families, I believe. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. Almost means you need to read the Old and the New Testament, doesn't it? A free translation of this might be, this is the Gary version. So whatever you wish your husband to do for you, do that for him. Wives, girlfriends, partners. Whatever you wish your wife to do for you, gentlemen, do that for her. Whatever you wish your children would do for you, do that for them. And whatever you wish your parents to do for you, do that for them. That's the free Gary version. It's a bit longer than the original Bible. A healthy family is not a 50-50 proposition. It's not an each way bet. It's not like each way elbow. He'll say one thing and perhaps do another. Actually, he'll say one thing and absolutely do another. Every member has to give 100%. You can't be in a family and just give a little bit. You've got to give everything. You look at the people in this church that are absolutely being blessed by the Lord, they're the ones that are doing stuff through the week as well, going to the prayer meeting. They're seeing God move in their life because they're giving everything. I was absolutely amazed that we had 20, maybe 21 people on Friday night at our place as I taught on hearing the voice of God. And I know there are at least four people that were coming 
or five that, that couldn't make it for various reasons. That's half of our church on a Friday night. Hallelujah. We can be excited by that. We all need to give 100%. In our marriage, if I only give 50%, let me assure you, Pastor Amanda's on to me. It's 100%. Nick and Sue, I would assume the same thing. Nick wouldn't be game to give 50%. We've got to give 100% in our families. If we didn't care about our children and just gave 50%, what would be the return we'd expect in their lives? If you want more attention from your husband, give him more attention. If you want more attention from your wife, give her more attention. If you want more love and attention, give it. Ask yourself, how can I be easier to love? I have to ask myself that daily. I can be pretty prickly at times. Can I, Pastor? You can tell everyone. It's okay. We're all family here. Everyone knows how prickly I can be. And that's okay. But it's a decision we make, right? Let me tell you, Pastor Amanda's pretty prickly at times. She thinks she's going to get away with it. But we've got to give 100%. Because it's not 50-50 if it's me, it's also her, right? We come as one. We're a package. If you attack one of us, you get both of us. If you love one of us, you love both of us. How can I be easier to love? That's a good question we can all ask ourselves. And when you get the answer, do it. Do it. Treat others as you'd like to be treated. We've been treated pretty poorly by some people that were part of the church at one time or another. We will treat them with love, but we will have a healthy conversation if they ever walk in this building again. But we will love them still. The saddest thing about a child-parent relationship is that the things we miss most in our parents are often the very things that we can't give our children, isn't it? If our parents didn't give us what we wanted, we find that we have trouble giving those things to our parents, to our children. So it goes, as Nick was saying, it goes down. If you're poor, your grandparents are poor, your, your parents are poor, chances are your children will be poor. We've got to start giving 100%. Parents need to start holding their children and being proud of them and believing in them. Even if your parents weren't able to do that for you, you need to do it for yours. And if your children can't do that for your grandchildren, you do it for your grandchildren. Be that shield that protects them. I pity anyone that asks us about our five children because they get the photos, they get the full story and everything for each and every one of them. Don't they? I've actually got to keep moving the photos in my album so it's easier when Pastor Amanda says, just show the photos. <laughs> Otherwise I spend 10 minutes trying to find them all. We've got to start giving to our children what our parents couldn't give to us. We could start that with a faith in Christ, couldn't we? It's not how others have treated you, but how you wish they treated you. That stings a little bit, doesn't it? It's not how they treated you, but how you wish they treated you. 
We all have scars. Has anyone here not got scars from people? Good. Some of our scars are more visible than others, right? We don't have to inflict those same scars on others, though. We don't have to inflict the same pain that's been inflicted on us on others. There's probably some people there going, Gary, I wish you'd just stop preaching now. You know, it's, it's, it's eight minutes to 11 and, you know, I, I just want to have a cup of tea. This is painful. Well, sorry, but you're going to listen. We've got to stop inflicting pain on others because it was done on us. If we only stop and cry out to God, God, forgive whoever hurt me and let me down. And don't let me do the same, Lord. Remind me that I am loved and you love me. That's a good prayer to start with every morning, isn't it? Remind me that I'm important and I belong to you, Lord. Now, but always. We've got to start being able to give ourselves to people the way we wish they'd give themselves to us. Third thing is healthy families are honest with each other. Honesty is something that's sort of disappeared from society, isn't it? We say one thing and we do another. Sister, I'll pray for you. And then we don't. In this church, if we say we're going to pray for someone, we stop and do it then and there. We did it on, when I was at Carolyn, Wednesday night. Carolyn's like, I've got a headache. I said, in Jesus' name, we break that off. It is gone. It is finished. Headache's gone. When we say we're going to pray, we do it. Don't just give people lip service. When a husband and wife refuse to judge one another, they are on their way to being a healthy family. When the church and the congregation refuse to judge one another, we're on our way to being a healthy church. Parents are to respect one another and their children. Criticism and judgmentalism have no place in a Christian home and no place in the church. We don't criticise the world. I actually don't care what's happening out in the world. I'm worried about what the Lord's doing. He's called me to look up, not look back, not look sideways, but look up towards Him. Parents who put their children into competitive modes, and some of us may have done this. Judging one child over another. Who has a favourite child? If you have, you've judged one over another. Who's been the favourite child? I wasn't. Oh, Nick was. I can understand that though, Nick. But I, I wasn't the favourite child. But when that happens, it creates heartache that can never be fully measured, can it? Long after the parents are gone, that kind of mishandling will continue to exact a price from that child. The reason I, and I'm working on this, so forgive me, the reason I want to be heard, firstly, God's called me, but as a child, I never was. I think that's why God called me, because he knew I would not give up. The message that I was given was going to be heard no matter what. That's a really good way to lose friends and infuriate people. You've all read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People? Yeah, this is the opposite. Preach the word of God. 
These verses in Matthew 7 mean that we are not to set ourselves up as though we are perfect and that others in the family are somehow unworthy. Sometimes that happens, isn't it? Especially if you're the only Christian in the family. You may think you're better than them, but God loves them just as much. It may think that 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 homeless person down the street, you may think you're better than them, but he still loves them the same as you. We can't hide the plank in our eye until we acknowledge that. We'll never be a healthy family or a healthy church until we can admit that, yes, that's a plank in my eye. Let's take it out so we can work on the speck in yours. It's exactly what the Lord was talking to me about with these people that are telling people we, we preach a false doctrine here, we preach a false Jesus, that Brother Sadhu should never have come. You should see the planks in their eyes. They can't. We break that spirit of Antichrist off in this city. Parents who understand this concept do better with their children. And children who understand this concept don't have to judge their parents as harshly as they might otherwise. We've all been there, haven't we? We've all judged our parents. The only thing we want for our children is to go further and higher than we go. We want them to improve. We don't want... My, my parents were quite poor, still are. And it's not about money, but we break that in this generation because the Lord calls us to be prosperous. And that's not always money. Fourth thing, I think I've got about six today, so bear with me. I don't like three-point sermons. That's what they do at mega churches. They give you a motivational message. Three points how to you know, be wealthy. Three points how to have a great family. Three points how to get a better job. I don't see any of that in the Bible. Healthy families are more interested in giving than getting. This is a giving church because we're a healthy family. We give more than what we get. Usually, we interpret this verse in terms of money, but it also has to do with loving and caring and being a family. We give out so much love that it's sometimes sickly. It makes people squirm. Has anyone in the church here not had a hug from Sally yet? That she just loves people. And they're awesome. I've got to get at least one every Sunday. Gloria as well. When it comes to giving, we can't outpace God. We can't outgive God. Got to remember that. When Sally comes running up to you with her arms out like this, just take it. Seriously, just take it. Because you'll be looking at Sally, but you'll be feeling Jesus. We can't outgive a spouse. We can't outpace a spouse or our children or our parents who give with no strings attached. We've got to give with no strings attached. Everything, finances, love, prayer, whatever it might be. 
We're not one of those churches that says, well, we've got 45 people here today or whatever there is, and each person's worth $35 a head. I've been in churches that they know exactly how much each person is worth when they walk in. We give with no strings attached. We started this church with two of us. Pastor Amanda would lead worship. I'd be like, yes, Lord. And I would preach. That was it. We were giving and giving and giving and giving. Not once have we, on all our, all our travels overseas doing, doing ministry, not once did someone else pay for it. We paid for it ourselves because that's what giving is in ministry. If you've got to go overseas, if God's calling you and you wait for someone else to pay you before you go, that's not ministry, that's business. When we give our hearts and start to love others unconditionally, let me put in bold and underline unconditionally, our gifts of love come back to us. To receive love, we have to give it. Now, if you're waiting on someone else to give it to you, maybe you need to be the one to give it so you can receive it. It's a reciprocal process. Number five this, today, healthy families are protected by faithfulness. Faithfulness. Matthew 7, 6 has generally been used to describe how Christ, Christian witnessing ought to be done, but perhaps it has even more to do with marriage. Husbands and wives are not to take what the Lord has given them and cast it before the dogs or the hogs. Husbands and wives, the Lord's giving you something special. On our wedding day, I recited that verse, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Do you remember that? Hallelujah. <laughs> We can't be casting that before the dogs or the pigs. Because if you do, they will trample you underfoot as they attack you. Has anyone been pig hunting with just a dog or a knife? Let me tell you, when you come across that boar, they're not very happy and they want to trample you and attack you. Healthy families are protected by fidelity and trustworthiness. The only person in this world that I trust more than Amanda is God. And they're pretty close on the scale. And I pray that she could say the same thing. I'm sure she does. We can't ignore this fact. Healthy families are protected by fidelity and trustworthiness. Treasure what and who the Lord has given you. Treasure your children. He gave them to you. Yes, they may run amok. Yes, they may not do what you want them to do. Man, we've had one that lived on the street by choice for a while. We don't love them any less. We've got a couple that are real pains in the backside sometimes. But we don't love them any less. We treasure them because the Lord gave them to us. Husbands and wives, it's the same. 
Treasure your parents because he gave them to you. Whether they were good parents or bad, treasure them. And I know many people come from broken homes. Number six, healthy families are enriched by prayer. Why do you think we've been harping on about prayer? People get offended by it. Read your Bible, pray, do your daily devotions because your life and your family will be enriched by it. Those who gather on a, every second Wednesday are intercessors. Those who come on Saturday morning to the prayer meeting. Those who join Shane and Cindy on Tuesday nights. Have I missed any? I think that's everything. You can see that their lives are being enriched because they're praying. God is moving in their lives. They're not just turning up on a Sunday and ticking the box that they were at church. If our family isn't healthy, if our church isn't healthy, we shouldn't abandon it any more than we would abandon a sick child who's gone to the hospital. So many people walk out of church and leave churches because the people there were sick. Strangely enough, often those churches improve when that person leaves. So maybe they were the sick one infecting everyone. Just because we're sick doesn't mean we're dead. I thought we were a few weeks ago during worship, but we're not, we're alive. Just because our family's sick doesn't mean it's dead. It might be on life support, but it's not dead yet. Just because we're ill doesn't mean we can't get well again. Is this making sense for anyone or am I just talking to myself? Prayer changes and makes us ready for what God is ready to do in our lives. Yeah, when you're praying to God, He's changing you. You're not changing Him. Too many people want to try and fit God into what they want. But you know what? You've actually got to fit into His plan. For years, I wanted to be a multi-millionaire. Guess what? That wasn't His plan. I asked Him lots of times. Wasn't his plan for me. He tells me I'm wealthy by preaching the word. We debate that sometimes. He always wins. If we're healthy, we shouldn't be proud, but we should be grateful. I used to work with professional athletes, incredibly healthy, fit people. The vast majority of them were so proud and full of themselves, it was ridiculous. The worst ones were actually the Israeli athletes. They were so full of themselves. But as a family, if we're healthy, we should be grateful, shouldn't we? Not proud. We should make our prayer one of thanksgiving. Everyone who hears me pray, it's thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. Because I should be dead. I should have been dead a few times. And it should be a prayer of sensitivity to improve our decision-making. Lord, give me wisdom, give me knowledge. Guide me not to do stupid stuff. Should be a prayer to improve our thoughtfulness when it comes to other people. A prayer to improve our honesty with one another. As I said earlier, we've seen honesty in society go out the window. Let's not do that in the church. It should be a prayer of our willingness to give and our fidelity. Let's not be cheating on the Lord. 
Let's not be cheating on our spouses. Let's not be cheating on our children. We should be thankful for what God is doing in our families. I know I am. We got one, our oldest boy has finally got a place of his own. He's living by himself at Churn Park and he's loving it. We are so thankful for that because that's the next growth step, isn't it, for a 26-year-old? Get your own place. We have another daughter who is playing music. That's her dream. She's got a gig this afternoon. We're going to go and watch. We watched her on Thursday as she was busking in Cavill Mall. That's their dream. We're thankful for that. We have another daughter coming back from America in a couple of weeks for a holiday. That's their dream. And we don't boast in that. We are thankful because the Lord is lifting them up. And the other two are doing well too. I'll show you the photos later. (laughs) We should be thankful for what God is doing in our family to help us remain strong against evil. Because you know the devil wants to tear family apart, right? We see it all the time. If he can't get to me, he'll try with Amanda. If he can't get to Amanda, he goes straight to our children who don't know the Lord. But we're thankful that he's keeping our family strong. Because there's evil all around us that threatens our most precious possessions. Which shouldn't be money, by the way. We should insist, or sorry, we shouldn't insist that everyone around us pray as we pray. Because that would be pretty boring. You know, there's times when I hear Pastor Amel and Pastor Grace pray, I'll say, Lord, can I pray like that? But he's all called us to pray differently, hasn't he? Some Christian homes would be healthier if there was no contest to see who's the most spiritual. Have you seen those homes? Who's the most spiritual person there? Maybe when we look at family and the home as a church, we've been in those churches where there's a contest to see who's the most spiritual. Let's not do that. We don't need that. It's important to share our prayers together and every child should hear their parents pray. Levi sees the angels. He sees the demonic and he hears his grandparents pray. Hallelujah. Wait until this lad starts preaching the word. You're all going to stand up and listen, I can tell you. But we must not try to make everyone fit a particular spiritual mould. Or we may miss what God can do in each individual's lives. You notice everyone's a prophet these days. No one wants to be a pastor because that involves work. Everyone's a prophet, everyone's an apostle. They're all evangelists. Have you noticed that? Not too many want to be teachers because they have to spend their time reading the Word. Not too many want to be pastors because that means you've got to spend your time wiping people's noses all the time. Not everyone fits into the same spiritual mould. If you look at the elders we appointed last week, there's many different spiritual moulds there. They're all different, and that is for the health of the church. As I finish up, have we got another song, Pastor Amanda? I'm going to finish up. Healthy families are no accident. 
It takes everybody giving their best. Healthy churches are no accident. And it's not about numbers of people in the church. Because you go to a, a church conference, it's how many people are in your church? Arnie Patty was asked the question through the week, how many people are at the refinery now? Her response was, well, if I can't count the only angels, so it's, you know, it's too many. My response would have been more since you left. It takes everybody giving their best. We've all got to give our best, whatever that might be. For some, it might be a little bit, or you might think it's a little bit, but it's a lot in the kingdom. For others, it's, it's laying down everything and spending 40 hours a week in the Word. Each member of the family has a part in determining how healthy our families will be. If your family is not healthy, your physical family, are you playing your part? If your church isn't healthy, are you playing your part? Because we can't all be prophets, we can't all be apostles. Some of us just need to bake the cakes, others might just need to do the washing up, whatever it might be. And thank you to our Ministry of Helps team that just does that. I love that we can walk in and morning tea's there. I love that I can walk out after the service and the washing up's done because there was a time when we would set everything up, myself and Pastor Amanda, and we'd bake, oh, Pastor Amanda would bake the cakes, I, I wouldn't. I'd eat them. But then there was a time we'd do the washing up. That's after we'd led worship and preached the word. Not many of you will remember the days when myself and Pastor Shane were playing guitar for the church. Praise the Lord, that's not happening today. But we all have our parts to play, don't we? I thought we were pretty good, Pastor Shane. We were awesome. <laughs> Pastor Cindy's shaking her head. <laughs> We've all got our parts to play. If you don't know what yours is, seek the Lord. And if you're not hearing what it is, Come on Friday night for hearing the voice of God and we'll teach you how to do it. So Lord, we thank you. Before we have another worship song, we thank you, Lord, that you want healthy family. You created family. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one that will guide us on how that looks. You are the one, Lord, that family was created for and to. We thank you, Lord, for the the death and the resurrection of your son for our sins on that cross. Lord, I especially thank you for the resurrection. Lord, I thank you that at the end of this month we have Pentecost Sunday. Who's excited for that? I, I, it's one of my favourite days of the year in church. Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit and your angels are here every single week. Lord, have them move amongst our congregation. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen. Amen.